You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you post hunting photos on Instagram, they get censored. When you post on Go Wild, you get virtual fist bumps from fellow hunters. When you buy gear on Amazon, you gas up a billionaire spaceship. When you buy gear on Go Wild, we donate to a camp that teaches kids to hunt, fish, and shoot. See the difference? Go Wild is a free social community built by hunters for hunters. Join today at DownloadGoWild.com, and I'll give you 10 bucks just for setting up your account. And you'll keep unlocking Go Wild rewards as you share content, because guess what? We like hunting pictures. Join at DownloadGoWild.com or in the App Store. Well, hello and Merry Christmas from the Woodsman Podcast. I thank you so much for joining us. I have a real special treat for you today, and it's not necessarily because we're going to be talking about outdoors and hunting and stuff, because we are, but I want to share something with you that's as near and dear to me as anything, and that's the Christmas season. You know, I think Thanksgiving, obviously, is a time to be thankful, and you look back in history and what that means to us. We do sit down with our family, and we share what's thank- what we're thankful for and what we're happy for, but I find myself doing that even more at the Christmas season. And there's a couple reasons for that. Number one, it's the, end of the gr- it's the end of the year. It's a time when you reflect over the course of 2021, and it's definitely a time when I'm going to spend... Uh, a time of giving and sharing and love with my family, um, and uh, so many things to be thankful for. I, I'm thankful that I have a, a, a wonderful, loving wife um, who's who's provided me with these beautiful, uh, a beautiful son and one on the way. I'm thankful for my my support that I have from her. I'm thankful for the support that I have from my family, friends, and my loved ones. I'm thankful that I have a great job and a great career doing something that I enjoy. I'm really thankful to have this opportunity to be doing the Woodsman podcast and to be sharing things with you guys in hunting strategy and really getting to interview and talk with a lot of unique people and get their philosophy on things, whether it's from hunting or fishing or you know some kind of tool of the trade. Things that help me learn and help you learn as well along the way through these podcasts. But the true reason and the true thing that I am thankful for is the reason for the season, and that is the birth of a Savior. Now it's easy to get caught up in the Christmas time of year of gift giving and running around, and those are all things that I'm going to be doing and eating wonderful meals, spending time with my family. Those are all parts of Christmas. 
But I want to share with you the true reason of the season. The reason is Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh and made dwelling among us. The Lord himself gave us a sign that a virgin would conceive, give birth to a son, and would be called Emmanuel. A child was born and was given to us to be called the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the Son of Man. Now, one of the things that I find so interesting, and it's still relevant today, is that it says in the scripture that she, Mary, wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, the reason that I believe that this is still very relevant is because in our day-to-day life, in our day-to-day Christmas season, it can become difficult to find room in our hearts for Jesus Christ. It's easy to forget the real reason why we gather, why we celebrate, and it's for this very Savior. Because prior to his birth, to have a relationship with the Lord looked a whole lot different than it does now. And it was told to us long before his birth that he would come unto us and he would save all who believe in him and follow him. Now I know how chaotic life is, and it's really easy to get lost in a lot of the messiness that is going on in our world today. But the good news is there's hope and there is truth through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So one of the things that I'm thankful for this year is that very gift. And if that's something that you're not familiar with or you've put to the side or you know to be true, but it's just something that's not been in your day-to-day, I really encourage you to take some time and slow down this season. Listen to what God is telling you. And don't be afraid to talk with him. His life is an undescribable gift. And if there's if you're looking for more information, I really encourage you to follow up with somebody this season and even make your way into a Christmas Eve service. I'm so thankful that you have joined us at the Woodsman Podcast, and I hope that we continue to bring you interesting and entertaining content. And I really want to make sure that you understand the message that God loved the world and gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. And that's something that I don't want to take lightly, and I don't want to neglect and let go by the wayside. Thank you very much for joining, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. I don't know about you, but I am ready to go back and go hunting. Two weeks of cabin fever between rifle season and our after-Christmas opener of late-season deer hunting is more than I can handle, especially when I have tags that I want to punch, and I would, I'd love to at least put a doe in the freezer um, and, and have some fresh venison. Now, if you haven't tried late-season before, I really encourage you to get it out. It is an a very missed time to be in the woods. Most of the hunters are out of the woods. The The pressure is starting to dwindle. And if you take your time, you can find some deer and get on some deer and have some fantastic hunts. Now, a lot of you, you know, are archery hunters and you're going to spend the time with a bow and I'm not going to, I'm not going to kid you. It is definitely difficult with the bow this time of year because you've got no leaf cover. Movements are, have really condensed 
kind of like an early season movement to that food, but food is so scarce it can be really hard to find deer. Then once you find deer, it's even harder to not bump them. And secondly, if if you've not tried hunting with a flintlock, I really encourage you to do it because they're a lot of fun. Now, I'm not going to kid you. They're a lot of work. And if, if it's something that you're new to or skeptical to or maybe tried and had bad experiences, I really encourage you, go back and listen to the last episode we did with Dave Erig. There is more information about flintlock muzzleloaders in that episode than you will often find just talking to Joe Schmo that's hunted for the past few years with a muzzleloader. That is really good stuff, and it's going to put you light years ahead of everybody. But don't kid yourself, you need to practice. If somebody gets you a flintlock for Christmas, uh, don't take you know two, three shots with it, get your sights close, and go hunting. If you've not spent the time with that weapon and practiced it and tried to master it, you know, you were, you will be much happier if you take the week between Christmas and New Year's and practice with that weapon a couple times before you go out and try to kill an animal with it. So during this off time, I've been trying to prep as much as possible to see if I can get on a buck here in late season. I pulled a bunch of trail camera cards after gun season just to see what is left, what made it through, and did anything new show up. I was really happy to see there's a bunch of two and three year old buck um, estimating that made it through. There's they're frequent and they're daylight, and that's that's really cool. I just don't know that that's what I'm going to set my my sights on. I really think that I would be happier with myself personally to see those deer make it to next year and have a good target for next year. Now, having said that, there are a couple here that made it through or their new targets. You know, we had a lot of buck get killed in the general vicinity around us this year. So a bunch of the targets that I was after have died or they're just MIA at the moment. But there's one deer in particular that moved in and I'm going to position myself and my cameras focusing on that deer mostly. Um, You know, he, he hasn't spent a ton of time with us, but every time that we've gotten pictures, there's a, there's a kind of a, a timely pattern, an area, and it is daylight. So I'm going to monitor those locations where those cameras are at a little bit closer, and I've repositioned a few cell cameras in those locations just to get me that real-time information because I don't want to miss that opportunity if that deer happens to show up. Now, my next part of the game plan is right before the season here, sometime over this, uh, this Christmas holiday, if I can find time, I plan to pull some cards in the food plots. Uh, I kind of left those alone when I did my, my round of card pulls just to make sure that they had ample time to be rested and have a good sense of what's starting to move in and feel comfortable. You know, since this time, we're, we're two weeks from gun season close, and we actually didn't have a lot of pressure on our property to begin with. I think we do a good job of monitoring that. You have to keep in mind that outside pressure on neighboring properties can have an impact on daylight movement on your property. Now, I would definitely argue that it's better on our property, but that that movement of mature bucks can be very difficult. Now I'm looking to see if they've made that transition to starting to move more in daylight. I'm not using an ATV to go pull these cards. I haven't had ATVs throughout that property from from rifle season on through. That's not something I'm going to do now to access and pull those cards quickly. 
I'm going to treat pulling cards the same way that I would treat hunting. I'm watching the wind. I'm watching my axis. I'm taking my time walking to those locations. I do wear rubber boots to try to minimize ground scent, even though you're never going to make that perfect. But I'm trying to be as low impact as possible because deer are on edge at this time of year. One thing that I'm excited for this year is we have more food left in our food plots than we ever have before. We had a fantastic growing season, and we we produced a lot of tonnage, and these food plots still have food left. And this is where, you know, you go back to our food plot episode that we did this fall. This is where the rye is coming in really, really big for us. You know, rye is not a glamour crop, neither is wheat when it comes to a food plot. But there is nothing else that is growing in the winter time. Now we, we got down here to some 20 degree nights and it's not growing at that temperature, but rye and wheat grow between uh, high 30s and low 40s degree temperature. There's, there's, uh, there's research for rye that it'll grow to 37 degrees Fahrenheit. It'll still be growing. Now it's not rapid growth, but it's growing. And you know, it's a, it's a, it's the most nutritious thing when everything else has dampened off for that part of the year. And we still have a little bit of oats that headed out, and there's seed heads there. Uh, the deer kind of left them alone prior, and we're starting to see those those heads of those oats being eaten. We've got some rye. There's annual clover in the mix, and there's a little bit of brassicas left, even though they've hammered those pretty hard from uh, most of December. So I'm really not banking on brassicas bringing in deer, but we do have green that's holding those deer and uh, hopefully we can manage a pressure and have them in daylight. So there's no doubt food is important, and so is pressure. And that's the name of the game throughout the entire hunting season, but in the late season you really see that amplified. There's areas of the property that are a little bit less disturbed than others, and that's due to the way we manage the access, and that's also partly due to uh, neighboring pressure. But I don't want to disturb that food. I'm going to hunt food. And I'm going to sit in box blinds on food plots. But if there's ever a situation where I'm nervous that I can't get in and get out in late season just because it's uh, no leaf cover, maybe a little bit more leaf uh, matter on on the the trails that we walk in or whatever the reason is that uh, it might be harder to get in and out, it's it's better for me to hunt in a location that relates to the food but not on the food because if I continue to bust that food out and even if I only bust it out one time deer come in the field and chase those deer trying to exit that is detrimental to me even having a remote chance at a buck. Um, I, I think it's a great time of year to see what the deer do in early season on these food patterns because you're going to be able to see from a longer distance and you can see their behaviors, but it's to the nth degree. Just because they're on edge, they've been chased all of archery season. They were just getting blasted at in rifle season. Uh, we all know that it's it's just a little bit trickier because of those reasons. And buck are no different. I think you're going to see those condensed movements, but they're going to sit back, and they're going to wait, and they're going to watch and see what the deer ahead of them do. And they'll use their nose to no end. Now, history has shown me, um, through all the cameras that we've run, that buck are definitely moving in daylight hours this time of year. If you've got those first two things, if you've got food and if you've got um, a low-pressure area that they feel comfortable moving in. Um, You know, for a private land, if you don't have that unpressured location, they're going to be on your food at nighttime. 
But if you've also got that unpressured security pocket, they will move there. And they might not get to your food by um, the end of legal shooting light in those afternoon hunts. But they're moving. They're browsing in their bedrooms. They're listening. They're watching. They're smelling. And they're moving ever so slowly towards those locations. And we've had plenty of instances where they are daylight in those food plots just because they feel comfortable enough. And there's many times where we'll see them, you know, that half hour to an hour just after daylight. I know that buck is betting close. And depending on how cameras uh, show me movement for the deer that I'm monitoring, that'll dictate whether I'm going to sit on food or somewhere relating to it. This time of year really is boom or bust. You can go for days and go for miles on public land and without finding a single deer or being in anything. But you can find food and you can hit a gold mine. I do plan to do a little bit of hunting on public land this year upstate at the cabin. And I'm talking here in the end of late season. And with the high beech nut crop that we had, there's a good chance that there could be some leftover beech nuts there. And if there are, I would fully expect to be deer relating to those. Um, if those are consumed, then the next best bet is going to be browse and chop-offs. Um, not much different than what we had discussed in a lot of those earlier podcasts throughout the season but I know that those deer are going to be huddled up and hunkered down into specific locations based on what's left at this point. Uh, snow cover could have a big deal with that. If snow is covering up certain locations, um, you may see deer get pushed to other pockets that maybe they normally wouldn't go to just because of the, the density of cover or you know maybe the snow is actually laying down areas that they can access better and you'll find them in those browse pockets. Um, if if they're not relating to the chop-offs, um, there's a couple areas that I know of that kind of transition to a winter thermal cover, and they might be relating to uh, food down low or they're relating to something in a swamp that they're digging up. Um, I've, I found a couple of those locations, and we'll try to key in on those as best, but I'm definitely going to be um, putting a lot of eggs in my basket where I've put a lot of time in on private land and resources to plant food and have this time prepared because as I said before for me the season's a marathon it's not a sprint I try to maximize potential from day one to the final close and you know with me not harvesting a buck having having that happen um, I'm still well prepared now one thing I think all late season hunters do and and hope for and pray for and it's one thing that I'll be doing is I would love some snow you know, last year during the late season in the locations that I hunted, we didn't have any snow at all. Most of the snow came after the close of flintlock season, and that's eh, a bummer. It's not the end of the world, but when you get snow, it's it's obvious that you're getting real-time information. Um, one thing I like to do, you know, a lot of the, the stuff we were just talking about earlier in relation to food, those were all evening hunt strategies, and as I said, I'll, I'll use my late season strategy a lot like my early season strategy where I'm going to focus and put the, the the primary hunt on those evening hunts when I'm sitting in a location and trying to follow deer movement. Now when you're talking about morning hunts and trying to maximize your opportunity because the, the clock is ticking for how much season I have left, snow is going to give me an opportunity to fall, follow tracks that lead to cover and try to play the wind and get as close as possible to those areas that I know they bed without spooking them. And 
that's one thing I love about the snow because I can be quiet. I'm not so cl- I'm not as clumsy. Well, I am clumsy, but it's a lot easier for me to be quiet and walk uh, in a stealthy manner to to push in and try to access that daylight movement. Now, for a buck, I'm going to do my best to sit tight and hold still and not bump any deer as they move past me and not spook anything because I do believe that the buck that I'm after could be behind them. Biggest thing is stay warm. A lot of people do not, they don't prepare for late season the way they need to. They don't have the right gear, the right clothing, and they think that putting a a cotton t-shirt on and their heavy deer hunting coat that they might do in rifle season is going to be good enough, and that's not the case. Um, I definitely have some thermal undergarments that have a, a windbreaker layer, and I'm going to cover that up and have my warmer fleece, and uh, <clears throat> I'll start to layer up those uh, insulation layers that I'll call them, and you've got to absolutely have a windbreaker layer, something that's going to cut that cold in half and uh, prevent it from going through those breathable uh, insulation layers. If you just have insulation layers like um, fleece, you are going to get cold. You are not going to be able to last very long when you get to these temperatures that are in the 20s and the teens and even lower, and it's it's going to really hurt you. Um, I'll definitely have, you know, all the, all the bells and whistles. Uh, I usually use hand warmers and a hand muff and make sure I've got my heaviest boots, um, appropriate wool socks, and, and all that stuff. So make sure you're staying as warm as possible because it can get really daunting and you'll want to move and moving at the wrong time can be detrimental. Now one thing I said about morning hunts and and trying to find those tracks, there's locations on the private land I know where the deer already bed. We've created it or there's a lot of history there of deer bedding in those locations. Now any other time of the year I'd stay out of them and I will stay out of them this season. But one thing that I will try to do under the right circumstances, is maybe access a little closer to the bedding areas um, if there's snow. So I'll give you an example. I know that there's food on the bottom portion of the property. Now, picture a side hill that's pretty steep that goes up, uh, flattens out on the top, and there's, uh, there's plenty of pockets where there's down trees or there's timber stand improvement and there's thickets that I know deer are bedding. One thing that I've learned that I can do is access from the side, so kind of a perpendicular movement into bedding and feeding. Um, I can go um, up onto these side hills in the places where deer usually don't go, and they're not expecting predators to be. Um, There are locations of very, very extreme rocks. There's actually some cliffs in these locations, and they lead really well to look into the perimeter of bedding areas from a high vantage point. And if there is snow, if there are reasons for me to be near that bedding area because I believe that there is a deer that I want to target in that area, it's going to give me a great opportunity to use these cliffs, use the terrain, use the um, the, the not-so-fun walking locations, but be able to access a little bit closer and look down into those bedding areas. And the reason I would want to do that in the morning is because cameras have shown me the deer are moving when it's cold sometime in mid-morning. We've had a lot of mature buck on their feet going between bedding areas and browsing in thickets 
between the hours of 9 and 10 o'clock all the way up to 12, 1 o'clock. Now, it's not something that's a really consistent movement that you can find all the time, but the coldest part of the day is the first part of the morning. I'm really not focusing on trying to be out to my stand before dark at that time because I've found most of the deer are already bedding at that time. But when it gets to that 7.30, 8, 8 o'clock, 8.30 in the morning time frame, if there's ice crystals on the uh, if there's ice crystals on the, 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 the trees and it's wet, it's windy, it's cold, it's miserable, uh, those are conditions where deer will, will obviously lay down. But as the day starts to warm up, you can start to hear those ice crystals on the trees melting and cracking and breaking. And once that ceases, sometime in that 8 to 10 o'clock time frame, we've often seen deer get up in their bedding areas and move around and browse. And I'm going to utilize that information and try to get to the perimeter of the bedding areas where I can hopefully see deer get up out of their bedding and browse around. I don't want to push it too close, but I know some locations where I believe I can get within 100 yards and not bump deer that are bedded there if I use the wind appropriately and if I also uh, use the terrain that I can't be seen. The last part is just that I can walk quiet enough and not bump them. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I am not the best still hunter in the world. I'm a steward of this. I'm still learning it, learning how to be a woodsman on the ground with weapon in hand. The snow is giving me an advantage for a couple reasons. Um, number one is the quiet. Number two, do not underestimate the value of snow camouflage this time of year. Deer have a really, really hard time picking you out when you blend in with that snow. It's as though you're a blob and they just have a really, really hard time deciphering what you are. Not that you can get away with anything, but um, some movements that you may do that a deer would see... Um, they just have a harder time knowing what you are. And I think that causes for some forgiveness if you make a mistake, and that's what I'm hoping for should I get these conditions to do this strategy. I think one of the things that's going to be the key to success in doing this, and it's where my discipline has to come in, is you got to be slow. you got to be methodical. If you're seeing tails, you're going way too fast. And that's something that I've struggled with plenty of times and I'm, I'm getting better all the time. But there's a couple hillsides that I have planned in these situations occur that it's going to take me between four and six hours to really go through the right way. Taking one step at a time, using trees as cover, standing there 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes before I even take another step. Really making sure that I don't let too much space go between my legs that you can see daylight through and really decipher that movement. You just look like a blob that's moving from one obstacle to the next and really watching. And I'm using my glass, using my optics as much as possible. Anytime something looks off, use your optics. Don't get lazy. Don't get careless and just say, ah, it's, it's a log, it's a whatever, and uh, then get busted because you make a move too fast and too quick. Just trying to take my time and not bump those deer. Because if there's a buck in that area that I want to harvest, i got to see him first before he sees me. Now last, and certainly not least, I do really like making drives with the group. There's a group of guys that we go to church with that we get together and go to some public land, go to some private land here and there, and we'll make some drives. There are areas that we've had success before that we know there's deer in. And uh, we've, we've had more misses than we care to admit, but it's part of the fun. Um, 
you know, drives are going to be no different than what we talked about in our, our rifle season podcast. I'm making a conscious effort to have the wind at the back of the driver's neck and having standers at good escape routes, um, hopefully at a vantage point where they can see well enough to execute a good safe shot. And that's the biggest thing I wanted to make sure we talk about is be safe when you're making drives. One thing in late season, um, it is not required to wear orange for late season in Pennsylvania here. And I really encourage you, if you're hunting with a group of people, at least wear an orange hat. Uh, there's there's no reason when you're hunting with a group of people and, and making pushes to not have an, at least one piece of orange to be identified because accidents can happen. And I've heard of uh, many scary accidents in late season, for that matter, because um, there was a, a hunter in the, the line of fire that wasn't seen because they weren't wearing orange. And, you know, while I'm hunting by myself on private land, uh, I typically won't wear a piece of orange just because I don't feel the need, you know, maybe that's shame on me, maybe I should, but I'll definitely say keep safe in these situations, guys. It's just not worth it. And also keep mind of, do you have a priming powder in your muzzle loader? Uh, you know, we talked last week with Dave, and he said, you know, I like to change my powder often. He said, when you get on stand, that's when you should put priming powder in your muzzle loader. There's no reason to have a charge in that firearm while you're walking with your group of guys or you're standing around chatting after the drive. It's just one more level of caution to take when you're hunting. Um, you know, I've been fortunate. I've never been part of a hunting accident like that, and I hope that um, I never am, and I hope you never are either. So I think that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode. I really appreciate you listening this year. I hope you have a wonderful Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. If you're able to get out and go hunting, enjoy creation. If you're not able, make sure you get out and do something with your family. Spend some time with them. You know, make sure you're, you're telling your family and loved ones that uh, they're very important to you. And uh, I really appreciate you, and we'll see you next week.